0: Hello and welcome to Night Light. By the time you hear this, it will be, Lord willing, January 2011. This uh, message is being prepared well in advance uh, because of the holiday stresses. And I don't know what might have unfolded in the world by the time you hear this. But I can be assured that unless something major has occurred that's altered the flow of history... Uh, you'll be, uh, entering the new year with, uh, m- many of you, uh, being aware of the, of the spiritual battles that have been erupting and increasing in the body of Christ. Now, what I'm, a, what I want to say to you today is not directed to international issues or political issues or Battles on those, those fronts that we sometimes discuss. I want to talk to you about the condition of the church. Now, some of you are not in charismatic oriented gatherings. And you may think, well, this doesn't really relate to us because we're in a uh, more traditional church system. But there's danger in that thinking. Uh, the one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12. And the part of the church that has sought to move in, uh, gifts of the spirit and sought to bring an awakening in the rest of the church to the validity of those gifts, uh, rightly so, uh, they, they carry on. We carry on. But in the midst of that restoration, there has been an eruption of pure craziness. And that's not unusual. Every move of the spirit, there's counterfeits, uh, there's demonic manifestations, and there's just plain human, fleshly error that gets involved. That's why we're exhorted throughout the New Testament to discern and to test the spirits. Uh, in fact, I want to read here from uh, Second, uh, excuse me, from First Thessalonians chapter five, from the King James version. It says, uh, beginning in verse. Uh, 16. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do not quench the spirit, don't despise prophesying, test all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And most people who have read that, have interpreted all of those statements as separate commands and that's the way they're actually listed in the text when when the uh when the the people who delineated the chapters and verses of the new testament did so they 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 did it in a form that makes it look like each one of these is a single verse to itself Verse 16, rejoice evermore. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, in everything give thanks. Verse 19, don't quench the spirit. Verse 20, despise not prophesying, etc. I think that was an erroneous way to delineate these statements. These statements are not disconnected single statements that sit on their own. They're all related. He's saying in the face of whatever happens, rejoice because Jesus is risen from the dead. That's what he's saying. Pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ concerning you. And don't quench the Holy Spirit, and don't despise prophesying. Those are directly related. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophesying. Uh, Test everything. Hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from all appearance of evil. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil, is not talking about don't run around in bad parts of town where your character might be impugned. Uh, a lot of people have used that verse as an excuse not to go and minister. You know, we don't want to don't want to give the appearance of evil. <laughs> that's not what the verse is talking about. Obviously, we don't want to give the appearance of evil, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about everything in context in, in the context of the previous verses. Now, if you read all of 1 Thessalonians, you understand, and as you go into 2 Thessalonians, you understand even more. The context of this is that they are under tremendous stress. They are being persecuted. They're a young church. Right after their conversion, they they faced a very demanding uh, persecution in which some of them are martyred. Paul tells them in 1 Thessalonians 4 uh, about the return of the Lord, and he warns them not to be deceived by false prophecy. And so in the midst of this, he says, Rejoice in the midst of what you're facing, and pray without ceasing. Keep your heart in touch with the Lord. Practice the presence of Jesus. In everything give thanks, no matter how dark it may look. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, Don't suppress the moving of the Holy Spirit and don't despise prophesying. Why would he tell them not to despise prophesying? Because prophesying can become despicable. And anybody who's been around charismatic things for very long has come to understand the meaning of these these verses. He says, don't quench the Spirit. Don't reject the moving of the gifts of the Spirit. Test everything. Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good and is proven to be solid and true, and abstain from every evil uh, misuse of these gifts. All, that's what this is talking about. When he says abstain from the appearance of evil, he's not talking about you know don't run around town with questionable people. If that was true, Jesus would have been in trouble all the time in uh, as having disobeyed this this directive. Uh, well, he's, he hangs out with sinners. He He's, he's with uh, the questionable people that uh, if he was a true prophet, he wouldn't do that. Well, abstaining from the appearance of evil has nothing to do with that. It has to do with abstaining from participating in and receiving false manifestations of the Spirit. If there's ever been a time in our, our history as a church that we need to understand that, it's now. I want to reread this from uh, Eugene Peterson's Um, paraphrase where he says uh, be cheerful no matter what pray all the time thank God no matter what happens because this is the way God wants you to belong to Christ Jesus who belong to Christ Jesus to live don't suppress the spirit don't stifle those who have a word from the Lord on the other hand don't be gullible check out everything and keep only what is good throw out anything tainted with evil. See, uh, Peterson understands the flow of this text. The Kassirer translation is uh, even more to the point. He says it like this. Be joyful at all times. Offer prayer continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's God's will. A will at one and uh, with that of Christ Jesus that you should act in this way. Do not stifle the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Do not hold prophetic utterances in low esteem. Put all things to the test. Hold on to that which is good. Keep yourselves from evil in all of its forms. Uh, here again, the idea is keeping yourself from uh, falling under evil counterfeits. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4 that the spirit of Antichrist is running rampant. Uh, in 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 the first century, he was dealing with it, and he he said, uh, "You have to test the spirits to see if the spirit is from God." Well, I, it's not my purpose here today to talk per se about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What what what? Eventually, we're going to talk about is taken from uh, some moments in the conference, uh, the Black Mountain Conference, uh, our our August conference, where Lynn DeShazo, Our worship leader and close dear friend, many of you know Lynn. She wrote More Precious Than Silver, and uh, We Are a Moment, You Are Forever, many, many other great songs, and uh, Lynn is a great teacher in her own right also. And Lynn had a word about the danger of people thinking that their giftedness somehow uh, gave them their identity, and she talks about that, and then I follow up with her discussing that subject but the reason i wanted to uh, preface that part with what i'm saying here is that there there is a huge problem an increasingly manifestly evident problem in the body of Christ. Psychologically, I can understand where it's coming from, but I think the powers of darkness have gotten behind the psychological wound, that wound being our need for affirmation and our desire for identity and our misguided attempt to make a name for ourselves in various levels of endeavor. That's gotten mixed in with this uh, prophetic movement. Now, Moses said, I would that all of Israel would prophesy. He's saying, I wish everybody in Israel had the word of the Lord. And so the movement of the, of the gift of prophecy, uh, again, it's too large a subject to try to cover in a small teaching here, but uh, the non-charismatic part of the church has tended to interpret prophecy as preaching. And that's erroneous. The charismatic movement... Uh, and the uh, latter rain movement before the charismatic movement in the 30s and 40s, uh, the, the, the latter rain movement prophesied itself out of existence by allowing crazy, weird goofiness to uh, pass itself off as prophecy. Well, Paul warned us that that was a potential. He said, don't despise prophecy. Of course, what do we do? We hear weirdness and we we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And so, uh, you know, the non-charismatic part of the church says, see there, it's all craziness. And then they disobey the scriptures by despising prophecy. Uh, The charismatic part of the church disobeys scripture by not being discerning. So I want to read to you an extensive message that has been sent out. uh, It was sent out several months ago. By the time you hear this, this will have been out several months. But uh, it's called An Approaching Crisis by Pastor uh, Lauren Sanford who is the son, the eldest son of John and Paula Sanford and a, uh, a pastor in the Denver area. And this is what he says. Uh, I find myself beyond appalled and deeply concerned about a trend I have seen developing in the body of Christ for several years now. I believe this trend is propelling us toward a crisis in the charismatic Christian world that may well derail and destroy revival before it can take firm root. It seems that in the quest to become more and more supernatural, many have increasingly wandered away from the plumb line of solid Christian doctrine and responsibly accurate interpretation of Scripture. The resultant weirdness flowing from key leaders in various places is leading many followers into what can only be called heresy. Some prominent teachers in the renewal movement now espouse open theism, which posits that God does not know the future, the end from the beginning. It then builds on that premise to diminish the revelation of the omniscience and absolute power of our God that scripture so clearly articulates. Another teaching gaining ground among us is the idea that once we have come to Jesus, we don't need to ever repent again because we are no longer sinners. What about Paul's statement concerning sinners, for instance, among whom he identified himself in present tense as foremost of all, 1 Timothy 1.15. I think some people need to do a thorough study of the New Testament exhortations to repent. And let me just add in here, uh, Mrs. Clay, Read Revelation chapter 2 and 3 if you think Christians are not called to repent. I mean, how stupid can you get? Sorry. Anyway. The problem stretches from the heretical to the silly. This is Lauren Sanford now. I recently returned from a ministry trip to New Zealand where one prominent leader has been teaching that we can unleash our spirituality by taking uh, monoatomic gold pills. Why? Why? Because Adam was made of monoatomic gold. Another teacher here in the U.S. teaches that God didn't part the Red Sea; Moses did. Recently, I've heard it taught that it would be okay to pierce the ear in the lobe, but not at the top, because the top is the ear gate, and you might hinder your ability to hear God. Lord, I mean, this is almost unbearable to read. Where is there any real foundation in God's word among any of these so-called leaders? I'm aware of one Christian leader who has devised a method of Christian divination, claiming that in doing so, he has redeemed something for Christian use that the enemy stole. Here, this is me again, not Lauren. I guess I wonder if there's a way to redeem adultery, or redeem stealing, or redeem child sacrifice, and that's that's the same stupid idea here, as you've heard me and Mary say a thousand times. Sin will make you stupid. Anyway, I'm continuing quoting Lauren now. I'm just scratching the surface here with a few representative examples. Where is the justification of any of this when held up in the light of solid exegesis of God's Word? It's time for us to stop interpreting the Bible through the filter of our personal revelations and personal experiences and learn to interpret our personal revelations and experiences by the Bible A year and a half ago, my friend Fred Wright, founding coordinator of Partners in Harvest, and I were discussing the state of the prophetic movement and the plethora of bad prophecy being spoken by leading prophetic voices. He said, quote, if something isn't done soon, the prophetic movement is over in five years. He's right. We've been focused on being supernatural and getting the next word at the expense of intimacy with the one from whom uh, the word would be coming. Too often we fail to sift our own emotions from the true prophetic word flowing from the heart of God. As a result, we end up prophesying words from our own imaginations and desires. Many have been doing what Jeremiah cried out against in 2330 of Jeremiah. Therefore, behold, I'm against the prophets who steal my words from each other. One translation, by the way, of that says they prophesy out of one another's mouth. And how many times have I seen that somebody comes out with a book and before you know it, there's three or four other books on the same subject and they all claim to have had a personal revelation, etc. Um. Here's how this works. We hear prophecies from one another, then excite our emotions in both positive and negative ways. Then in our flesh we build on what has excited us, failing to differentiate between personal feelings and the voice of God until the words we speak go well beyond the truth of God's heart. Skewed and extreme statements result that either raise false expectations of great things or feed excessive fear and dread not the truth on either side. Lauren goes on to say, please know that I am a dyed-in-the-wool river person. I cherish the move of the Spirit. I love it when God makes a sovereign mess of a meeting and people fall and laugh and cry and shake. I love good prophetic ministry. People receive miraculous healing in our church on a regular basis. We've heard audible angels singing in some of our meetings. I'm by no means a revival critic but I have been given a prophetic voice and I must use it to sound the alarm when God calls me to do so. These things I call attention to are just a representative sampling of the utter nonsense growing in renewal circles these days and being passed off as revelation by a number of key leaders. Those who attempt to stand against this pollution of the stream have sometimes been vilified and accused of creating division or even of quenching the spirit. They would be in good company where uh, creating division is concerned. Jeremiah, Micaiah, Paul, and our Lord Jesus himself would be in that number. For my part, Lauren says, I believe prophetically. That the great apostasy prophesied in scripture has begun, but that it has taken root in unexpected places where personal revelation is presented as fact and where leaders twist scripture to make it appear to support presuppositions and propositions based on grains of truth driven to extremes that results in false teaching, heresies and spiritual silliness result. A saying that the Lord has given me of late is, if you focus on being supernatural, you'll end up in shipwreck. But if you focus on being intimate with the Father, you'll end up being supernatural. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? I and the Father are one. John 10.30 In too many places, the hunger has shifted from longing to be one with Jesus and with our Father through Jesus to a focus on seeking supernatural experiences for themselves. This is a form of idolatry, a longing for the effect rather than the real relationship with the cause. And we long for the next great spiritual revelation and forget that the most foundational revelation of all is the Father heart of God and his love and invitation given to us to grow up and to be like him in every aspect of our character. This calls for a renewed, a renewed emphasis on the cross where we die with Christ, the blood that cleanses us from sin and the resurrection that gives us new life. Paul said, and with good reason, quote, For I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. Did we forget that the word canon, which refers to the scriptures, means a fence beyond which we cannot go? that we can neither add to nor detract from it, in too many places the focus has shifted and we're about to find ourselves impaled on hidden reefs of destruction that are out there beyond the canon. I realize that this is not the kind of word that produces invitations to big conferences. I realize that it puts me on the outs with certain other leaders in the renewal circles. I can't say that I don't care about that, but I can say that I will be true to the quest to know my Father's heart and that I will govern govern my revelations of Him and from Him by the plumb line of Scripture delivered once for all. I will issue this warning that we are more and more heading down a very dangerous path. I am praying for a revelation of the heart of the Father that will restore us to ourselves uh, that will restore us to ourselves before it's too late. This is, uh, referring, of course, to the fact that we're, we're stepping out of our true self and into a false self that is manifesting false gifts and, and giving a place to lying spirits and doctrines of demons. That's Pastor Lauren Sanford, New Song Fellowship, Denver, Colorado. Now, the reason that I wanted to share this with you today is because Whether you're part of the charismatic renewal or not, this all affects you. No one can take safety in saying, well, we don't even practice that stuff in our church. Because, to be honest, and forgive me if you think this is unnecessarily polemic, but... To quench the Holy Spirit and and disregard the gifts of the Spirit and take refuge in some kind of dispensationalist construct that has no root in Scripture or in reality or in experience is uh, as great a cop-out in one direction as the erroneous things I've been describing are an error in the other direction. So we don't find uh, safety in passivity or disobedience nor do we find safety in uh, embracing whatever whims of strangeness come down the pike. Again, that's probably, again, too large a subject to try to address here, and uh, we we could uh, get into the debate of it, but that, to me that's as ridiculous as arguing over what caliber bullets are the best to use while you've got real bullets flying around your head. You know, which gun is the best gun or... Some kind of silly argument like that. In-house arguments like that are okay in peacetime, but they're utter stupidity in the midst of war. We are in the midst of war. It's not time for us to argue over secondary subjects, but it's certainly also not time to disregard the weapons of war that the Holy Spirit has given us that Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 would be in operation in the church until the return of the Lord. So that one verse... Negates the whole idea of a dispensationalist view that the gifts were only for the apostolic age, and once the last apostle died, it was they were all removed and etc church history doesn 't affirm that scripture doesn't affirm it. Paul says in first Corinthians chapter thirteen that uh, uh, when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away. The idea that that which is perfect is the scriptures, and when the scriptures were canonized, the gifts were no longer needed. That that idea is not even accepted by dispensationalist theologians. It's a totally bogus concept. Paul is stating there that the, that which is perfect is the coming of the kingdom of God. When Jesus comes, yes, then the gifts, which are called in Hebrews chapter 6, the powers of the world to come, they won't be done away with. They will become the normal powers of the world to come. Because the world to come will no longer be the world to come. It will be the world that's here. But the point is, and as as you hear Lynn uh, opening up this this subject uh, here in just a moment, uh, the main point of our time together is not just to address these bogus, uh, confusing issues related to the gifts of the Spirit, but more to the point, it is to deal with... uh, the character brokenness in the body of Christ that makes us susceptible to all kinds of uh, confusion and seduction. And uh, I want to say just one word to you who are leaders, because many pastors and leaders receive this message. Lynn, uh, I don't think it's on the tape, uh, that, that portion that we have of Lynn speaking, but Lynn and I have known each other for over 30 years. And we were around in the days when the Charismatic Renewal and the Jesus Movement was sweeping the world, and uh, with all the good that was there, there was an element of tendency among leaders to, to grab people who had gifts and thrust them up front in order to build the crowd, and that's a maybe cynical way of saying it, but that really was a part of it. And uh, it didn't matter much about the character. Now, of course, we see that today, sadly, don't we? I mean, people just uh, run after gifts uh, without any concern for moral character. And so uh, this was also true, though, in those days. And as a result of it, many of us, myself included, were damaged by that lack of, of fathering. Now, certainly, someone who knew me in those days might have said, "Well, you know, you were pretty much of a bullheaded jerk and wouldn't listen to anybody anyway then that you know maybe that was true, but I do know that uh I sought spiritual leadership, I sought fatherhood, and uh it was not understood, it was not given. And as long as I performed and as long as I uh, uh, moved in my gifts, then uh, everything was great. Now, when it comes to the operation of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom and the gifts of prophecy and all that relates to that, uh, the Lord moved through me in those ways uh, early on. And, uh, I could tell many, many stories of remarkable supernatural encounters with people through the operation of those gifts. And, but, but see, folks, they're called gifts because they're not mine. They're given to me. The operation of gifts is no commentary on character or on spiritual trustworthiness. A false prophet is not merely someone who prophesies something that doesn't come to pass. That's not the definition of a false prophet. Especially in the New Covenant, the prophetic ministry, is you don't stone prophets because they tell something that doesn't come to pass. The New Testament pattern is that uh, we speak, and what we speak is to be judged by responsible spiritual leadership, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And it's to be done in love. And it's to be done unto edification. You don't throw people away because they mishear something they thought the Lord was saying. You, you walk together through it and learn. Every, that way everybody learns and grows. And the gift is not inhibited. You don't despise prophecy. Nor do you despise the prophesier. But uh, sadly, uh, what we have nowadays are, are people who don't understand that. Uh, and either they don't care about whether there's trustworthiness in the character of the person or they do the opposite they think because they have gifts that affirms their character God can speak through a jackass and uh, so how God speaks and who he speaks through has no commentary necessarily on the quality of the life of the person so Lynn is addressing that uh, in an attempt to help the people in the conference understand some of these issues, and it it just came to my mind that there's so many of you out there that I hear from who are wrestling through these questions that maybe it would be good if we take you into that conference setting and let you hear that, especially uh, related to what we've just shared with you from Lauren Sanford and uh, some of my own comments. It's a dangerous time. It's a blessed time, but never, never underestimate the the danger of uh, a move of supernatural giftings being uh, hijacked by the devil. Not because the Holy Spirit's untrustworthy, of course, but because people's hearts are idolatrous, and so. This is what we're up against, and so I pray that as you listen to what we share in the remaining time that we have here, you will ask the Holy Spirit for the gift of discern, discerning of spirits, that the gift of discerning of spirits would begin to operate in you, and that also the the, the, the spiritual discipline of discernment, which doesn't come as a gift, but comes from the uh, from the result of prayerful, humble study of Scripture. Discernment grows in us as we mature. Hebrews chapter 5 says that we, as we study the Word of God, The word in us helps us discern the difference between what is good and what is evil. And then the previous chapter, chapter 4, talks about how the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and is able to divide asunder the soul from the spirit, the joints from the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of your heart so that you realize nothing is hidden from the eyes of him with whom we have to deal The discernment of human, the human soul from the human spirit. The discernment of the operation of evil spirits operating through people who claim to be speaking for God. So this gets really complicated. Yeah, it does. And you know what? God requires us to mature and grow in discernment. He's not going to just say, oh, it's okay. This is too complicated for you. Uh, It's only complicated when we're not in the Scriptures and we're not listening to God and we're chasing supernatural events for their own sake instead of seeking the face of God uh, because we love Him and want to draw near to Him. So with those things in mind, uh, we're going to go into this live setting where Lynn is sharing And then uh, at the close of our time together, if there's a few minutes left, I'll come back and, and have some closing remarks.
1: This is the danger of having a gift. And people see that you have a gift and they want to use that gift and they don't have the discernment to know the difference between the gift and the person and where their character is where their heart is. Um, and unfortunately for Clay, he had a pretty significant gift. Um, when God has a big destiny for your life, there's, it's a big battle to to get from where you are to where God wants you to be, and there's a big assignment against you, I think. Um, yeah, I think that's that's... I don't want to get too long with it. No, you're, not, you're doing fine. Okay, well, let me give you an example. Uh,
0: Talking about how gifted I am, and I like that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Big head, too. right? Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I think about my life and, and where I was with my gift... Uh, it 's significant to me what what God took me through in order to make me tru- truly useful without uh, losing me in the midst of it uh, when you have uh, when you have a gift whether it 's uh, you 're a wonderful musician or you 're an artist or you 're a business administrator, when you do something well and people see that they want to use it that 's not a bad thing but it 's easy. Uh, it's easy for you and them not to take care of the person who carries the gift. Now, in my life, uh, playing guitar became very important to me pretty early on. In fact, uh, uh, those of you who have picked up my book, I I talk about that in detail. Um, If you're a, a builder or an engineer, you know that... Uh, you can only build so much, Let me put it this way. If you want to build a skyscraper, you have to uh, be very careful how you lay the foundation. Because if you don't get it right, if you don't go deep enough, there's not enough strength there to hold what you want to put on top of it. Now, if you want a disaster, go ahead and put something there. Uh, all you need is a natural weather phenomenon to show the flaw in the foundation or you know, slight tremor in the earth, any number of things, and you have a building that collapses. And, and God just knows that he wants to build something in you, but he cannot do it if the foundation has not been laid right. And a gift is not the foundation he wants to build your life on. He wants to build your life on Christ. And in my own life, uh, I had to, God had to give me to the place where he had to separate uh, some things from me for a season in order to get the foundation right. And I had to, to learn. It was a security thing with me. I, I, you know, I felt like you know, if I could do this for the Lord, he'd accept me. Because it's easy to kind of get the idea from parents or authority figures who mean well, that if I perform well, I'm good. If yeah. I can perform well, I'm good. If I don't meet expectations, things go not, not as comfortable, not as well. So I had a pretty high level of, of uh, performance orientation, but it was going to damage me because the Lord didn't want my faith in Him to rest on what I could do for Him, and never, never does. Uh, he wanted to rest on the only foundation He can build something on, and that's His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He's done in giving Himself for me on a cross. So my my standing before Him is completely wrapped up in what the Lord has done. And so when we sing uh, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. And it's it's settled with me. It hadn't always been settled with me, and some of you are in the place it's not settled with you yet what God's doing. He's dismantling the things that cannot hold what He wants to build upon in your life. I think I made my point so yes.
0: Now what's important about this point is, do you know how many really sweet, wonderful, loving Christian people have been shipwrecked because somebody, whether it was the local church or the church at large or somebody didn't recognize the difference between the gift and the person and they, they, uh, prostituted the gift for their own purpose, uh, we nearly lost B.J. Thomas because of that. Uh, Bob Dylan was driven away from the church because of that. Uh, lots of celebrities. Uh, Barry McGuire. Some of you, those of you over 50 remember Barry McGuire. Barry, Barry was an old California rock and roller came to the Lord, and uh, he had had one giant hit called Eve of Destruction. Don't you understand what I'm trying to see? say? Can't you feel the fear I'm feeling today? If the button is pushed, there's no running away. There'll be no one to save with the world in a grave. Take a look around you, boy. It's bound to scare you, boy, but you can't. Keep telling me over and over again, you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. It was a real little pop song, you know. <laughs> hit the hit the uh, number one record, number one record of 1960, what 65, and uh, got banned on a lot of radio stations because it was too anti-war. But Barry came to the Lord. And uh, the first thing the Holy Spirit told him to do was take his guitar and put it away. And become a, a plumber's helper. Now here he is with one of the most popular records in that era. Nationally, internationally now. Comes to the Lord. See, we have these stupid idea in the church oh, I wish so-and-so would get saved. God could just use his talents. I mean, God is just so yearning for them to get saved because God could use... The that is so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not right. Yeah, that's... It's not right. <laughs> that's stupid, yeah. Um Barry had to work as a plumber's helper for two years. He never picked his guitar up for two years. And during the two years, he said, I had no confidence that I would ever pick it up again. It was not like, oh, two years and we'll see what happens. The Lord didn't say that. The Lord said, put it at the cross. And it's God's decision whether it gets resurrected or left in the ground. I'll never forget the day the Lord asked me a question. I I, I lived before I ever left Mississippi, before I moved to Texas. My world had come to an end. And I was sitting on the back steps of an old trailer where I lived at the time. I didn't have a cat. didn't have a dog and I barely had a prayer and the Lord spoke to my heart and he said if I, if I never use you, if you never speak another sermon, if you never write another word, if you never sing another song, if I put you to work at a shoe store in Dillard's, what's your answer? Now I want to tell you something, when thoughts go through your head that you think might be the Lord or not, you know, you play with them and you dilly-dally with them. But when it's clearly the word of the Lord, you don't answer quickly or tritely. I did not answer the Lord for 48 hours. Because I knew I was dealing with the real living God. And I said to him after 48 hours. if, uh, If Katrina had not destroyed it. I could take you to the place. I could take you to the spot. Where I laid in the carpet. And I put my nose on the carpet. And I said Jesus. I'm nothing without you. Nothing. I don't care if I ever preach another sermon I don't care if I ever sing another song I don't care if I live a completely unknown and in the the world's eyes unfruitful existence but I can't live without you and I want you to know that for two years he tested me on that I worked at all kind of odd jobs and did all kind of things I don't know how to do Did them badly. Did them uh, poorly. And waited for the word of the Lord. Waited for God to give me new orders. And uh, after a certain period of time, known only to God. I mean, God didn't give me any... He didn't come down and say, son, it'll just be a few more months. Just hang on. He didn't do that. For all I knew, it could be ten years. You know, it says of Joseph... That Joseph, it says of Joseph in Psalm 106, it says, the the chains on Joseph's arms and legs entered into him. The hardness of the chains entered into him. I don't think that means he got strong. I think it means he got hard and hurt and bitter to some degree because he's human. And we read these Bible stories, and it takes us ten minutes to read what took them thirty years to live through. And then we wonder why God didn't show up in thirty seconds and get on with it. But I, you know, during that period, there there was I had I had a record, I had a recording contract in Nashville. The the company was swallowed up by another company. They canceled all contracts. Everything was lost. And I. During that period, I I was in Los Angeles. Uh, I had a a trip to Los Angeles. And while I was in L.A., uh, I walked in this big super... We have a lot of them now, but back in those days, you had to go to Los Angeles to find a, a Christian supermarket. You know, just everything, you know, Christian records and Christian books and Christian tire tools and Christian toothpaste and, you know, Christian... All kind of Christian stuff. Jesus movement leftover junk is what it was and they just put it all in a big building and marketed it to people from the east that didn't know any better about buying it and I walked in there and I just kind of went you know Jesus stuff and the spirit of the Lord spoke to me clear as a bell this was during the same period and he said have you ever considered son how much of your affection for me is actually only affection for junk about me and if you were to be removed from the access to christian culture you would not love me very much do you love jesus Or do you just love the way Casting Crowns sings and it moves you? And since it's about Jesus, you think your love for Jesus is connected to your love for Casting Crowns. But you really love Casting Crowns and Jesus is a second thing. Is that too complicated to comprehend? If you were taken away from Christian radio... If you were removed from Christian conferences, if you were stuck in a certain, like like Ron, Ron's been in Siberia for five years working, you know. But Ron managed to stay close to Jesus in the midst of that, didn't you? Had to. Had to. Had no other choice. Where else am I going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. It's very good for you if you are in a very lonely desert place with him. Because you know what the desert does? It strips you down to the necessities. Nobody worries about whether they've got their cell phone or whether they've got their whatever makes beeping noises. In the desert, you need air, food, water, not necessarily in that order, water primarily, and food, and transportation. That's about it. Yeah, and at night, some, some, some fire. But you're stripped down to basics. And we so often say, you know, God's got me in a desert place. Well, does he? I wouldn't be surprised if he does, but if he does, be there. And let it do its work in you. Because it's in the desert that he strips you down to the things that matter most. And the things that ultimately will be your undoing, he helps you lay aside and they they die in the desert, not you. See? And all of our deserts are different. I hear other people's stories and I think, Clay, you are such a weenie wimp. You've never been through anything. This is, what, this is the work of the cross. This is what we mean by coming to the cross. Now I want to ask you. This is not just for young people. But young people. I'm addressing those of you 30, 30ish 30 and younger. It's perfectly natural for us in our 20s and 30s. To have all kind of aspirations. To have vision. I mean, that's God given. But the death of your vision is a necessity for its fulfillment. If the vision doesn't die and then get resurrected by the Holy Spirit, it will simply be a work of your flesh. And that which you thought was your calling will become your undoing. And that's just so proven over and over and over. That I I don't need to, to labor it. But you know, not all the pain in this room is because of woundedness. Some of the pain in this room is the call of God to the cross. And the cross, as has been said before, is where my will and his will cross. And like God said to Bob Mumford one time, Son, me and you are incompatible and I don't change. how about coming into the presence of the lord and and being willing to lay down your vision maybe some of you need to be willing to literally lay down your ministry the lord some of you may need to lay down your expectation of how god's going to heal your marriage you got it all figured out how god's going to fix your husband or wife or some of you have got all, you know, I don't know, we've all got different areas where we've got these problems of I'll tell you, let me say this before Lynn takes us where we need to go. There is an emotional I've checked with other friends of mine who are psychologists and who study this subject. There is a phenomenon in our culture that has been growing since the 1980s. You see it at its worst in American Idol. It is the idea that if I don't do something big, I am of no value. Uh, There have been several former American Idol kids who have tried to commit suicide in the last year and a half. Mary and I, you know, our kids love American Idol and they wanted us... I've only watched the ones where all the really weird people come in. That I really enjoyed, you know. (laughs) But then I thought, these people are allowed to run around loose. They let them go back out on the street. And but you know what? I mean, I'm, Mary and I, I can't even watch the Three Stooges anymore because I keep wondering what happened to those guys. Why didn't they get some help, you know? But, and I used to like the Stooges, but, <laughs> but Mary and I, we're trying to watch American Idol, and and all I can... I 'm serious, all I can think about, all I can think about hadn't somebody told you, darling, that there's more to life than this? Do you really think your whole world will come to an end if three people who don't even know you decide whether you are good or a good singer or not? My gosh. And the the fear in their eyes and the terror in their face and then the exaltation when they win. And did did they win or did they get a death sentence? Every time I see a kid making it, quote, in Hollywood, I always wonder, how long will it be before they're Britney Spears? I've, I've prayed for Lindsay Lohan since she was 12 years old and played in the parent trap. I knew where she was headed. That child, she's a child. Don't go through the grocery store checkout line and look at photos of her and, and reduce her down to some Hollywood idiot who's out there hurting for our pleasure. That turns us into gladiator watchers. She is a child who has been destroyed by a child-sacrifice, idolatrous Babylonian Hollywood system. And the same system that exalts her laughs as she falls. You've got to start seeing the whole world from, my, from this perspective. That's the way you need to look at the world. Redemptively. Prophetically, and intercessorily, and redemptively. You see, you understand. You understand what my heart's saying here. But if you got your eyes on your own golden orb of what it's going to take to make you glorious, you will not have the discernment to move in the power of the Spirit and bring redemption. You'll have your mind on your your own fulfillment and see and this idea that i've got to do something big you know our ancestors our spiritual ancestors who built the cathedrals the great cathedrals of europe they would do the carvings in the cathedrals we we found woodwork that's inside and hidden where they did beautiful carvings where nobody could even see what they did but god they did the carvings as beautifully in the hidden areas underneath as they did outwardly. Because they said, if we do this for the glory of God, God can see this too. They did it unto the Lord. They 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 would, they would plant the trees that had to grow for a hundred years. That they had to use to build the cathedrals. So there were whole families whose responsibility was to build... to plant the trees and they nurtured the trees then their children continued to nurture the trees then their children harvested the trees then their children began to build the cathedral God is the only one who knows their names well the devil might know them but they're honored in heaven they're hated in hell but nobody on the earth really knew who they were but we've got a culture that thrives on being known notice me notice me notice me and that you hook that to a masculine drive toward power that's rooted in an ego and turn that loose in a pulpit we got to bring all this to the cross and that brings us to a close on the recorded live portion of this message I only have a couple of minutes I want to clarify a couple of things before we close I neglected to finish my statement a while ago that in the Old Testament, a false prophet is one who prophesies that which does not come to pass, or also one who prophesies accurately but who seeks to turn people away from following the Lord. Either one is a false prophet. In the New Covenant, the work of the Spirit in us is different in that a person who prophesies in does so inaccurately is not necessarily a false prophet. But one who prophesies accurate information but still seeks to turn someone away from the Lord, that's still a false prophet. So the New Testament understanding of a false prophet is one whose character is perverse regardless of their gifts. So I want to make sure you understand that. Then I also want to clarify something I was saying about the charismatic church. Uh, and the non-charismatic part of the body of Christ. I love the people of God. I learn from people who do not see eye to eye with me concerning the gifts of the Spirit. And I believe that many people who are not charismatically oriented have enough humility to learn from those of us who, who do uh, embrace the presence of the, the charismatic gifts in the church. But when I speak to those of you in our listening audience, and we have quite a number who are not charismatic-oriented, be careful that you don't fall into the idea that because this is not part of what happens in your milieu, that it doesn't affect you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And so... uh, we need humility we need patience we need discernment most of all we need love but we need truth in love Uh, love without truth is sentimentality truth without love is legalism but truth and love together can deliver and and, uh, heal and bring the body of christ into her true identity now let me underscore here something that i don't have time to express more than just to put it in your thinking. Jesus' prayer in John 17 will come to pass. The prayer that we will all be one, the prayer that our love for one another will be so demonstrated that the world will know that we belong to him. Uh, That is the greatest miracle that could be demonstrated in the eyes of an unbelieving world. I want to tell you, they, they, they're they not impressed with supernatural events. They see them in, in uh, demonic manifestations. They may even see them in Holy Spirit manifestations. What they're longing for is uh, reality and character and in relationships. Jesus' prayer in John 17 was not that we would demonstrate supernatural power and walking on water and raising the dead. His prayer to his Father was that the work of the Spirit would bring all of us into a unity of heart. Not uniformity. Unity requires difference. So I'm not waiting for you to speak in tongues so that I can be in in, uh, uh, unity with you. I'm in unity with you because uh, of our relationship together in Christ. And if we differ on that or any other number of secondary subjects I could list, then it's that very difference that gives us the opportunity to overcome our differences by moving into a higher realm, which is love. And so we're not looking for uniformity. And so when I find myself standing alongside uh, people of various denominations, and I'm not going to list them all, I have the honor and privilege of standing next to people from just about every quarter of the body of Christ and we stand together in Christ and point to Him, uh, I'm enriched by all the different aspects of the revelation of God that have come through their tradition. And things that I can't embrace, uh, as long as they don't deny the blood atonement and the deity of Christ and His uh, humanity and His death and resurrection and His return, then I can work through those other things. We're heading into a time when uh, you you need to know who you are and you need to know what you believe and you need to know what you're willing to stand for and who the enemy is and who the enemy is not. And so I pray that this hodgepodge of things that we've shared here today will help bring you in that direction. Um, Having said all that, I'm very concerned about the false manifestations we talked about I'm very concerned about the lack of biblical clarity in the minds of many people who claim to know the Lord. And it's our endeavor here in this ministry to provide as much, uh, answer, uh, much as much of the answers to those issues as we can. But in our closing moments together, I just want to th- thank you all for your continued support of what we do. We cannot do what we do without you, and we're thankful for you. Thank you for listening. And uh Lord willing, we will we will talk to you again in a month. God bless you. Bye-bye.